Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Caine has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Would Be King and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses... You failed to maintain your women, son. ...and take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. ...to understand how he is made... The Mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Hello and welcome to another instalment of The Mark of Cain, where we skip once again through the minefield that is the filmography of Michael Cain, watching every single movie and hoping our next step doesn't result either in the loss of a leg or, potentially worse again, having to watch The Swarm. But we've got a way to go before we deal with the swarm and things like that. My name is Michael Foley, and with me as always is Stephen Black, creator, curator, and chief content provider for the Mallow News Twitter Emporium. How are you doing? Well, Mick, to be honest with you, if, if we're going with the whole minefield metaphor, I am basically uh, lying in the arms of one of my squad mates, uh, watching my entrails pour out in front of me, and uh, knowing full well that if I survive, I'll never wear a pair of boots again. Maybe the best thing I can hope for is a, is a photo op of Princess Diana. <laughs> no. And you know what the worst? I, I, I don't know about you, right? And Okay, we have kind of the benefit of historical perspective in that we know that things like The Swarm are coming and Jaws of Revenge and so on. But this one came as a surprise. This was like walking through a normal field and stepping on a, maybe a mine from a, a war from long ago. I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't expect to get blown up into the sky this early in the process. This week's entry into the canon of uh, the Market Cane is uh, Hurry Sundown, which is a very benign title. You think Hurry Sundown? Yeah. That sounds like what somebody wants mean? to get home from work. Well, I want to get home from work. Hurry Sundown. I can't wait. I finish toiling in the fields. I get to go home, uh, have my dinner, put the kids to bed, watch a bit of TV, maybe have a glass of wine or a bottle of beer, and then go yeah. maybe watch one of those football games that you enjoy so much, Michael. Foot the ball. And, would you mind? Foot the ball. ball. Foot yeah. the ball games. That's what the the, the, the name Hurry Sundown is. It certainly isn't the harbinger of two hours and 40 minutes of nonstop shit, uh, which is essentially <laughs> what it ended up being. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, oh God. I'm if just we did, if we get, Actually, because, because I'm clearly not up to the task, uh, can you put this into football metaphors in terms of, uh, you know, Michael Caine's career to this point and then his decision to to take this film. What would this be like in, I don't know, kind of a foot the ball type scenario? Yeah, it's a little bit like sort of, okay, up and coming team goes on a run, 
you know, they go to somewhere like Anfield, get a result against Liverpool. Uh, they surprise Manchester United at Old Trafford. Suddenly, suddenly they're they're the toast of the league. They're going well. Maybe the next couple of games they draw against mid-table teams, uh, and then suddenly, suddenly they meet the bottom team. Who you and you expect them maybe just just to go nicely and well, but sudden somehow they completely utterly shit the course in a way that makes you question everything you've seen over the previous few games and effectively put them back in their box where they started. Um, it's, it's a, do you know what it is? It's not, we're not angry. We're just disappointed. I'm Meredith, and I am also an authority on Hurry Sundown, the best-selling novel that has been read and acclaimed by millions of people all over the world. Now, the New York Times book review said of this novel, there is anger in Hurry Sundown, and there is truth. And there is a surge of life that is unforgettable. The Literary Guild Review said it has the sweep of Gone with the Wind and the spirit of the Grapes of Wrath. And now this sweep and the spirit and the powerful surge of life is on the screen in Otto Preminger's film, Hurry Sundown. I know because I have seen it and I have watched it being made and with many other stars, I am in it. Hurry Sundown is a story of the Deep South just after World War II. It is boldly different from everything that has been told before. It goes deep into the secrets and passions of the South, a part of America that has always intrigued the world. It is a proud land with its own traditions, its own customs, its own heritage. It is a place of vivid contrasts. It can be warmly sentimental and wildly sensual, charming and friendly, suddenly violent. It is often gracious, but sometimes terrifying. When an actor works with new stars, he always gets a special thrill, and Hurry Sundown has the most brilliant young cast in years. This is Michael Caine, whom you first met in the Ipcrest file, Funeral in Berlin, and Alfie. He's about to play a scene with Jane Fonda. They're dynamite together. Don't you come in here! Don't you touch me! No! It was a combination that exploded day after day. Ain't never been anything like that in my side of the family. Jane Fonda is always fascinating. Henry! Oh, depraved. Making your own wife blush before six in the morning. Hurry Sundown also has four new stars of tomorrow. Diane Carroll, the nightclub stage and recording star, now in a screen role that audiences will remember. You whites don't have a monopoly on that kind of man. John Philip Law, who made a sensational screen debut in The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming. Great God almighty, I'm really home. Faye Dunaway. Since finishing Hurry Sundown, she is one of Hollywood's brightest and most sought-after new talents. Give me the damn thing, will you? No, I'm not gonna let you put Give it to me. No. Right. And Robert Hooks. He's a discovery from New York's Broadway theater. We can't trust no Miss Julia nor the white folks to look out for us. We gotta start watching out for ourselves. And here I am, typecast again as a charming, pleasant fellow. This was nothing less than the leavings of a drunken, syphilitic old nigger woman. The supporting roles, too, are magnificently cast and performed by Robert Reed, George Kennedy, Frank Converse, Loring Smith, Madeline Sherwood, Rex Ingram, Steve Sanders, John Mark, 
Doro Morandi, Luke Askew, Donna Danton, Jim Backus, and Bea Richards. I was a white folks nigga, I was. You must see Otto Preminger's film, Hurry Sundown, an explosive drama of love and the absence of love. It is set in the South, but it is happening everywhere. Well, we're, we we're disappointed dis a lot. Of, we're, yeah, we're disappointed a lot earlier. I didn't. I, I, yeah. I had my disappointment face prepared. This was this is a lot sooner than I expected to be kind of this disappointed in, in, yeah. in, in uh, Michael Caine's career. So because we know I what's coming, it, like just for the sake of those who may have wandered randomly onto this, what could you summarize the plot there for us? What actually happens or doesn't happen in Hurry Sunday? Yeah, like I mean, I, and we should say, I mean, you know. Do go and find this film. I mean, it will it will aid you along the way here. And if you have seen the film, you know, if you've watched the film for the purposes of listening to this, um, I just want to say well done. And I want to say we're with you right now. We're here for you, and we can get through this together. We are we are not us. liable. We are not liable for any post traumatic stress uh, that you may have no. experienced as a result of watching this, though. No, talk to Kane. Talk to Jane Fonda. Talk to those people. That's that's not our bag. But basically, this film, oh my God, what is this film about? It's Look, it's a film that has big ideas for itself. It wants to be a film of big ideas about racial tension in the Deep South, about race issues. Uh, Otto Preminger is, a, is the director. He's a guy who's kind of, you know, he's tackled these big questions before, things like the man with the golden arm, drug addiction, and so on and so forth. So he wants to get his teeth now into a Gone with the Wind style um, production. So... Kane is playing Henry Warren, this this kind of property speculator who's married into big money in, in rural Georgia. Um, he wants to sell um, their land um, plus two plots of land to a canning company. So the two plots of land, the first plot of land is owned by the McDowells. Rad being Kane's character's first cousin. He's back from the war. Of course, Kane's character is a draft dodger, which immediately makes him an all an all own bad guy before he does any of the crap that he's that, that he's about to do. Um, the other package of land is owned by the Scots, an African-American family. The matriarch, Rose, would have been the wet nurse to Julianne, uh, who's played by Jane Fonda. It's Kane's wife in the movie. But of course, the two families won't sell. They actually join forces um, to resist Kane. Um, there's a whole, it goes along, 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 along various subplots. Um, in keeping it was a bit like To Kill a Mockingbird. Actually, the guy who wrote the script for Kill, to, to Kill a Mockingbird had a go at this, and Preminger told him, No, sorry, you're fine. Paid him up and told him to go away. Um, they have a big courtroom scene. You have the rancidly racist judge, played by Burgess Meredith, um, better known to all of us, of course, as the penguin in Batman and, and Mickey and Rocky. Um, he plays the rancidly racist judge. Uh, it just goes on forever, the courtroom scene. It's eventually, it turns out that, yes, the Scots, the African-American family do own it. It's all fine. Um, then there's some, the, the Ku Klux Klan come in. They blow up some levees. Uh, there's a flood. A child dies. The father gets over it inside of about 15 seconds. And um, everybody gets back together and says, we're going to rebuild the farms again. That's pretty much it. There's some appalling sex in it. Um, really bad saxophone playing. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, and can I just say? Can I just say before before we begin? Can I just say, if as a listener not having seen this film, you found that description 
boring and kind of uh, meandering. It's because Mick has given you a very good, precise uh, account (laughs) of what the film is about. It is boring and it is meandering. Yes, it's it's like it's it's got ever it's got all the bits that you need to make a really big epic movie that answers big questions, but it completely fails. It's an epic epic fail. But look, that's the movie. I don't really care about the movie, to be honest. I don't know about you. I mean, no, as I say, if people, don't, if people have watched it for this, you've watched it. If you want to go and see why we're what why we're so disappointed, go and find if it. If you've but, seen it, our commiserations, and yeah. we, we feel your pain. I think what we're going to do is we're just going to break it down into things that we found interesting. Yeah. First of all, we'll just tackle Kane himself. Uh, the biggest thing, of course, is, 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 with Kane's character in this is that Kane... Uh, a Cockney is playing uh, for the first time on screen somebody other than an Englishman. He's playing a Southern gentleman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not the first time though that he's attempted an accent. Let's say, isn't it not? There were so many deep dark past. In his deep dark past, I think he played an Indian of all things uh, back in Dixon of Doc Green. Um, uh, but he played the Indian with a Welsh accent because he managed to convince <laughs> the director, who had clearly never met an Indian, that Indians sound Welsh. <laughs> He played a German. Yeah, he also so, played a, a German officer in some other, you know, bit part. He did, and he well. lost. He lost good. the TV gig. He lost the TV gig because he was supposed to play an Irishman. He couldn't pull off an Irish accent. I mean, to be honest with you, that director, whoever he was, if if only uh, people had the same moral fibers he has when it comes to actors not being able to pull off Irish accents, we could have been spared wild mountain time. The only way you're watching something and, and things strike you um, like immediately. I mean, I think the very first scene, he's in a helicopter shouting. And straight away, the southern accent is 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 cracking and just breaking apart. You want them you apart. Want, obviously, his character, his character is a prick, but you want Kane to do well, obviously, because yeah, you know, well, we're rooting stage, for him. It's this stage of his career where we're rooting for him. But it's it's like watching, you know, those little. Uh, it's like watching uh, footage of a, a newborn deer, little baby fawn, trying to get up on its legs. And they go, oh, it's going to do it, it's going to do it. And you realise after a few seconds, not only is he not going to walk, he may never walk again. And maybe the best <laughs> thing for him is just, you know, to end up at somebody's table with a fine little uh, redberry sauce. Yeah. Um, no. Like, I, I got to the point that I started taking note of the things he couldn't say in a deep south accent. I, I just, it was like, dollars, thoughts, this, the phrase, if I was you, uh, I'm sorry. He couldn't say, I'm sorry. He, and do you know what? That's fucking ironic, considering he couldn't say sorry in his book either. Uh, he, first of all, he says, this movie, he he, he, he says, is the first the long line of mistakes he made by uh, judging judging the merit, the merits of a movie that he was going to do based on the, the pedigree of the people who were doing it. So mm-hmm. he's basically saying, I didn't read the script. I just saw Otto Preminger was doing it, and I associated him with the man with the golden arm and anatomy of a murder. So there's that, yeah. but also he when he's talking about the reviews afterwards, he noted that some of the British press uh, tore him apart for because you know saying he can't do an accent, but he noted that all the southern southern press uh, applauded him for his excellent southern accent. Yeah, I I'd say the southern press were probably very very complimentary to anything that dragged the film down in any way and could possibly kind of turn people off of taking it seriously at all. Um, like he couldn't say turn me on. You know, open up, it's me. She'll be all right. And I think a very those, important... Those three sentences were in a row, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they may have been. They may have been. I, I mean, you know, they, they also appeared at other stages in the movie. Um, But I think the ultimate one, I mean, there's a bunch of them, but I mean, the ultimate one was, I'll get you for this. I mean, he's a bad guy. And he can't say, I'll get you for this uh, in a plausible, 
uh, accent, an implausible southern accent. It's just unbelievable. Well, look, accents aside, is he good in it? I well, he's no, he's not. He's not like he look. It's a the, the whole thing is a complete shit show, right? The only people, I, I mean, we'll come to this maybe in a little while, right? But it's it's actually amazing that most of the people in this movie crawled out with their careers intact. But like, is he good in it? Um, he gives it his best college try. I think he's I think he's going in. He's 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 overreaching himself in a movie that's overreaching itself. You know, I mean, the mood, the vibe on the set seems to have been appalling. I mean, Faye Dunaway is in it as well. This is before she makes Bonnie and Clyde. She's locked into a deal, a six-movie deal with Preminger. It's such a traumatic experience for her that she buys her way out of the contract afterwards. She's just treated like muck. In fact, Kane, I think, in another book, makes makes the point that he he consciously told Preminger, who had a reputation for just destroying actors, that actually, I'm, I'm a very sensitive guy. And, and if, you, if you scream at me, I... I I won't be able to take it. I just break down. And Preminger's response is, you know, um, well, why why would I shout at Alfie? You know, I only shout at bad actors, essentially. I think that's part of it as well. I don't know what you think about this. I, I think he's kind of floating on the whole the whole Alfie thing. You know, he kind of maybe no. And to be fair, this was made in the summer of '66. Uh, Alfie had just come out before, but he is floating on the on the whole vibe with the Oscar and everything. Maybe he's just overreaching himself in every which way. Yeah, he does have all. He, basically, he has the air of a man who hasn't eaten for for months, and all of a sudden yeah. he's given access to a bu- uh, to a buffet or a carvery. You know, he's just there and he's piling he's piling potatoes and gravy, and he's asking for extra roasts. You know, <laughs> whatever he can get away with. You know, like be- before the, the 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 gravy train stops, and he doesn't get, he doesn't get to earn any more money. So yeah, the, I don't think it's very much. It, it, it's not an artistic choice. It, it, it he says it's an artistic choice in terms of, you know, he, he judges on the pedigree, but I mean, he's not doing his due diligence by reading the script and actually, you know, verifying whether it's any, actually any fucking good or not. You're absolutely right. I mean, Jane Fonda was a star at the time. He actually gets billing above Jane Fonda, which I think is, is, is significant in itself. But like, yeah, he, he's doing it. And, and there we will see more examples of this in the very near future where he is picking projects because of the people who are involved in it. And it doesn't work out. It, it doesn't really work out, let's say. You know, it's just, it's not, it's, it's, it's not great. But overall, I mean, look, he does his best and he does have some moments. Um, again, we go back to what we talked about at the very top of this whole thing about the charisma of Kane on screen. And there are some, and we will talk about them in a second. There are some genuinely appalling moments in this that he's involved in. But there are other moments where his face alone, uh, the hooded eyes, sort of work. I mean, as this is his first out-and-out bad guy. He's played flawed characters and kind of an incompetent cat burglar in Gambit. Harry Palmer is a little bit of a, you know, he's kind of, a, a, he's, he's becoming a better uh, secret agent at Funeral in Berlin, but he's not great. But this is his, First out and out git. And you know, he does okay. I mean, do you think he's good? What 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 did you what did you come away with feeling? I about think him? he's I think yeah, I think he's fine. He, you know, it's very much uh you know, hit your mark, say your lines and go home mm. at the end of the day, as far as that I think he, he he's on record as saying as as concentrating on doing an accent takes up fifty percent of your performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means you all you're left with is fifty percent of I think given that type of career would have been Fifty percent to twenty five percent. If you could do that, Matt, and I can't because I'm not very good at maths, and I'm not sure that made yeah. sense in the first place. But look, yeah, we're. Kind of, I think he did okay. He did, he did not very well, I suppose. 
rather than drag people through any more mire of of, of the of, of the movie. Well, certainly not anymore that we're, we need apart, to do ourselves. Apart from one small little small little thing that is worth reflecting on, where he learned the Southern accent, his inspiration for the Southern accent, and it's a classic Kane anecdote. He's at a party with John Gielgud and he meets Vivian Lee and he asks Vivian Lee, who he's met this is his first time meeting this kind of screen legend, screen goddess of the, of the era. I says, how did you do Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind? And he, she says, well, just keep saying four door forward. Now I've been saying four door forward for a while, trying to figure out how that works. She said, she, said she did, she did, she did it nonstop for four weeks though. Nonstop for four weeks. That's all she said for four weeks. I'd say she just, she just went out. She must've had a litter of cars by the end of it. It's, <laughs> Kane certainly didn't do that due diligence. I said he I said he said it I say he said it once. Yeah. So I got it. Fold old fold. Got it. It reminds me a little bit of that old, you know, that that the old bitten family guy with Ben Affleck preparing for a role. Uh, I think he's I think the thing is you're 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 starring as Henry VIII, so he's on his coach and he's like, uh, hello, uh, hello, 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 hello. Got it. And out the door. It's a little bit like that. It's like, yeah, I can do it. I've done ten years of rep. I can do anything. I've done. I've, should look, I've, we, I've, we should probably move on and, and and look at scenes of interest, I guess, in the movie. Mm. Uh, for me, I think the something that's left an indelible mark of me. Uh, uh, basically, if I had access to a bottle of mind bleach, I'd like to be able to, you know, like <laughs> take a nice warm bath in that. But the in, the 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 boudoir interactions oh, with uh, Jane Fonda in this are some yeah. of the most appallingly awkward and repulsive that I've seen, yeah. certainly in, in a movie of that era. Uh, and I don't even get, actually, do you know what? I, I, I don't even, I mean, you know, we can, we can apportion a certain amount of sort of, um, you know, it was the sixties, it was whatever many years ago and there's different attitudes now. Some of this, like some of the scenes and one scene in particular um, just wouldn't pass muster in any year. I don't think. No, no. If we look at the light, lighter side of it, I guess the kind of the lighter side of it is. is She's is, good. Uh, look with that. Uh, yeah, saxophone is foreplay, which is mm. uh, is a new one on me. I mean, often, of course, you'd see in this day and age, you you think saxophone, you think that's the soundtrack to sexy time in a movie. Mm-hmm. However, you don't actually get to see the saxophone player himself being directly involved in sexy time. Whereas no. this is very much the driver. The, it is the instrument. It is his tool of seduction. He doesn't, he's not very good at fingering. Let's put it this way. Uh, <laughs> it's another thing we can add to a list of things that he can't do. He can't, he's not a good fingerer and he's not no. good at Southern accents. And he's not good at miming playing the saxophone. Not good at all. No. I mean, there are notes, there are notes occurring, not even remotely in the vicinity of where his fingers are. It's just and and blowing. And this is some sort of quantum jazz where it's you know it's it's not the notes you play, it's the notes you pretend to it's the notes you don't pretend to play. I I think that's the kind I of stuff know. that he would have gotten into with Christopher Nolan many years later. I think at this point it's I'd just say so, yeah. crap saxophone miming. But there is it like there's a couple of scenes. I mean, again, it's a deep south. There's something about these sometimes these deep south movies where heaving bosoms and the heat and the whole lot seem to kind of feed into this notion that we have to have these really heavy duty kind of. Uh, implied sex scenes you know so i mean this one now in particular we have jane fonda hammered um your man is your man is blown on his saxophone she comes over starts fondling the butt of the saxophone is the best way to put it um before taking the sax that's called the, the saxis growth <laughs> the saxis growth and then takes the um saxophone and starts blowing into it actually and she's not miming and it sounds it's it's it, it's it's better than what kane was attempting oh. Yeah.
yeah, it's it's appalling. But you know, you'd like I like because I was waiting for this because we knew that what has known it was considered to be maybe the or one of the worst on-screen kisses of all time is coming. I thought that the worst on-screen kiss occurred somewhere in that scene, but it didn't. It came later, and it really is bad. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way: this was described in his book as it's it's a rape scene essentially. Uh, within the yeah. confines of the marital bed, yeah. so they, they 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 play it in so much as a kind of you know it's it's a it's a you know n- no means yes essentially is is how I imagine they get it past the censors that she seemed to fight back but eventually acquiesces because oh it's her husband and it's Michael Caine yeah. uh, and it's it's repugnant and um, but as part of that uh, he plants one of the wall again it, it basically you know that scene in Alien where where, uh, where uh, Sigourney we report the alien gets sucked out the airlock. Yes, I am. Yes. I, it was basically like that. I'm amazed that Jane Fonda's tongue didn't kind of exit her mouth and go into his as a result of the. It's like a yeah. fucking Dyson. I think she was going. I think she was walking around with the imprint of Kane's face on her face for probably a few days afterwards. Like it was like it was like he was performing CPR on her while chewing on a golf ball. It's just the. It's 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 awful, and I mean. You know, I, it, 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 it gets you thinking about bad screen kisses and bad screen kissers. I have not come across anything like this. I mean, I would say that like Woody Allen kisses in general are bad. I remember reading one time Helena Bonham Carter uh, described kissing Woody Allen's like kissing the Berlin Wall. Um, I, I, I think that's that they're bad. OK, that's a kind of bad. The only other one that really struck me. Well, two, there was two, actually. Sharon Stone and Joe Pesci in Casino is pretty horrendous. Um but Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones in Entrapment, I actually, I had a vague memory of it. I actually went back to have a look at it. And it's got, do you remember this one? It's it's awful. He looks yeah, in pain when he's doing it. Like He actually looks in pain when it's happening. Yeah. I don't know what the screen direction is. You must fight your your, your urge uh, to, to kiss this young woman who you've t- taken under your wing. But I, he basically, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's like, do you know when you're, when you're trying to feed, uh, give food to a toddler? Yes, and they're just turning away their head just before. Yes. The la- it's basically that level of acting in there. It's, it's very disturbing. God love her. Like I mean, and you know, I mean, look, there's obviously like the whole idea of Connery being and, and Zeta Jones kissing is is one issue, but like, it kind of because he's ducking and diving everywhere. It looks like she's just slobbering all over him. It's awful, but it's nothing on the scale of what we're talking here in Hurry Sundown. It is like I'll be interested when we get much further into this. Number one, where Hurry Sundown will sit overall. But also, um, where that moment will sit in the sort of low points in Kane's film career, we can't stand over this case. Like, no, we can't. I, I, I wouldn't like to be standing anywhere near it. It's <laughs> no, it's disgusting. No, you liked um, you like George Kennedy in this. George Kennedy plays this kind of dumb sheriff, this dumb deep south sheriff with like eternally fucking. Uh, uh, sweaty underarms and um, just kind of walk around with a stoop all the time. Yeah, so uh, there's one scene in this where uh, George Kennedy uh, Sheriff goes out to do a racism with uh, the uh, with a bunch of the good old boys, and he goes into the he's gone to the Scott farm to try and uh, to to arrest uh, Reece Scott, and he gets distracted by fried chicken. Essentially, he's that bad at racism. He goes in, all all the locals are like, ah, no, don't arrest him. He's a good boy. He hasn't done anything wrong. Why not try some of my fried chicken? And other stereotypical food that uh, that I can play upon you. Basically, he spends yes. most of the scene shoving food down his gob, goes out and doesn't realize that he's been had. It's like something out of Blazing Saddles. It really In fact, I can't is. believe it that Mel- really I can't. I can't genuinely can't believe that Mel Brooks didn't see this and kind of take this as an ins- as, as inspiration for that because it is 
is so it's it's just a part of it. It's just the goofball idiot sheriff. And you know, George Kennedy goes on later in the year um to appear in Cool Hand Luke. So I mean again, another person who 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 has who scrambles from this Oscar. to something much, much better. Won an Oscar, exactly. I mean, mm. but you know what? It's the female characters, it's Jane Fonda, it's Diane Carroll. They're the ones that kind of save it in some ways. Faye Dunaway to a lesser extent kind of saved this movie to some degree. George Kennedy actually he plays it up and he he's actually doing all right, but he's just the character is just such a it's so badly put together. I also actually in that scene was isn't that the point where we get the uh, the horrible song, the the horrible sixties mid sixties pop song masquerading as a sort of a a sort of a spiritual. Does that happen in that scene? Oh yeah, the, yeah, that happens in that scene. All all the locals gather around, and I mean, in, in a movie that oh. on paper sets to dispel uh, racial stereotypes, has no problem getting down and digging in with a knife and fork, and you know, displaying every single uh, African American stereotype in the book. So every member of the, the the community is there at the house. They're all singing this song. They all know the words. Um, Despite the fact that it's a song that no that no self-respecting black person would sing, it's 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 a it's a white it's a white pop song. It's not it's not a spiritual or a gospel song. And any it's tone deaf, tone deaf. And speaking of tone deaf and you know just stereotypes and so on, we move along. I think to to uh, the judge played by Burgess Meredith, who and I know he's playing it up. And I know that you know the whole idea is a racist judge and the whole system is is rigged against um the right thinking people in this community and so on but i mean even then like you know there preminger here again using a sledgehammer to crack an egg he's like by he's some of the language i don't care i just i just couldn't watch i couldn't watch some of it well it did i didn't want to watch some of the language and some of the stuff that he was coming out with was just beyond belief he was practically frothing at the mouth racism no, I'm not going to disagree with you. It was really uncomfortable to watch, and then you know, I kind of go this day and age. Obviously, you have you know you you never you anything like this. Hopefully, you'd like to think would not be displayed in the movie. Um, yeah. In a way, it was really disturbing to see. I mean, I, I see Mickey uh, from Rocky talk like that because I, I didn't really see Burgess just married that anything other than uh, other than Batman. Uh, all I was yeah. and all I thought was Jesus. If Rocky knew he was like that, I don't think he would have loaded to train him. I don't think he would have been anywhere near the Apollo Creed fight. That's for sure. I it's think just, that would certainly have been a much more uncomfortable fight scene than, than, than it already is. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's just off. Court scene is terrible. Um, you have you have Mike Brady, the dad from the Brady Bunch, uh, is playing one lawyer really badly, and the other one is just like again stereotypical deep south lawyer with his hands in his pockets, walking around like Matlock. It's just not good. Um, where else to go with this? I'd like to focus on what I think is the 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 most profound uh, depiction of grief ever, er, er, at mm. least uh, at least that I've ever seen on screen. And that's when uh, Rad's uh, eldest boy is tragically killed in the, in the in, when the, the levee is, is exploded by the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Very moving scene where, the, where he carries the body of his dead child, puts him up the kitchen table, um, gathers all the kids around in case, you know, you know, he wants one, you know, maybe one of them will turn into Johnny Cash or something, you know, Here's your dead brother. Are you sufficiently traumatized? No. Do you, do you hear that trainer coming? Would you shoot a man in Reno? No. What a poker, dead brother. Walks outside and is immediately recovered from his grief. It's like, oh, well, at least I got a few spares. Like, the, the six, is it the six stages of grief that he, he goes through them um, in, in, in about 10 seconds? Uh, it's incredible. 
I wonder if he, I wonder if he was capable. I wonder if the, the script actually called for him to do more, only that other Predator realized that he basically had hired a sentient tree for the role <laughs> and knew that he wouldn't have been capable of of doing any more than basically walking from point A to point B. Yeah, poor old Rad. Poor old John Philip, he, he, he kind of just stumbles through the whole movie. It's actually amazing, though. I mean, that was one point in the movie where, you know, the death of a child, you could, he could have actually just, you know, teased it out a bit more, you know, rather than 10 seconds of grief and, oh, right, now we've got to get back to rebuilding the farm. Given that we had just sat through two and a half hours of head-aching sludge that could have been cut right down, the, the very point that needed a bit more teasing out, he just swept through it in a rush to get to the finish of the film. Um, again... John Philip Law, he's a role. I'm not sure if he's next or probably wasn't his next role, but Jane Fonda, who obviously was on this movie as well, recommended him for a role in Barbarella, which he got. So again, another guy of actually of them all for this guy to get out of this movie uh, unscathed is, is incredible. In terms of marks out of uh, marks for Kane in this, it's a tricky one because like if we're marking the movie as opposed to Kane, they're kind of two different things. And you'll have four. noticed, I certainly noticed. Four. 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 <laughs> four. I was going to say that we've actually spent more time complaining about the things around Kane rather than Kane himself in this movie. Four. I'd go with four. I might even, maybe a three, but I am very conscious of what's coming down the track in about 10 or 15 years time. So not so sure. It was a difficult movie. Um, for them to shoot it was it was in Baton Rouge in Louisiana and I mean you know some of the racism they were trying to de- depict on screen was actually happening off screen um, you had you know you, you did have burning crosses uh, erected on set in the middle of the night uh, they were driving back to the hotel at one stage they were sniped at from the woods that they were driving through um, uh, Bobby Hook uh, who played one of the Scots in the movie and Kane were turned away from a restaurant in Baton Rouge and they went out for dinner it was all happening around them but obviously I'm going to put it down to the fact that the mood on set must have been so bad that they couldn't channel all of this energy that they were experiencing around them. And maybe they just, maybe they just weren't good enough to channel it anyway. But yeah, I think it was a combination of factors. I think it's, it was a bad script, uh, yeah. lack of focus, no premature didn't seem to have a coherent a, a vision of what he wanted to do in the movie. Uh, I think the multiple drafts and redrafts of the script kind of, kind of show that there was a real lack of direction. I'm sure it comes yeah. from the top down and anything like that. That's another sporting thing really, isn't it? It's all driven from the top down. If the gaffer is, uh, doesn't know what's going on, the players won't know what's going on. Isn't that right? Look at you with your sporting metaphors. You're going to put me out of a job. It's great stuff. Um, like, I mean, I think in fairness, and you know what? At this stage, okay, he's got an Oscar nomination, but like at this stage in Kane's career, he needs he needs a firm hand. You know, he needs somebody. He needs somebody directing him. Um, but he doesn't. I don't know whether I don't know what way it was, but it certainly it certainly doesn't work on this one. Four Canes, three Canes, something like that. Where is he? These personal. He, he's kind of. He's just enjoying Hollywood. I think he's just floating. He's floating, you know? I mean, he's he's had four movies out in 66. This is early 67. So he's just rolling and rolling, and there's more to come. So I, I'd say he's just, you know, he, I'd say he's he's just in a whirl, isn't he? He's just, just, he doesn't feel the ground beneath his feet. Yeah, I'd say that's probably because he was swimming in a lake of booze because most of his stories around this, uh, this era consist of him uh, <laughs> reeling from party to party and rocking up on set at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning from the, uh, directly from the night before. Next up, <laughs> we're going to do a double up the next time because uh, one of the films that he's in 
that comes up next. He's only in it for a very short space of time. It's woman times seven. It's a kind of Shirley MacLaine vehicle. He's in it for 15 minutes. We'll, we'll talk about that the next day. But we've, he's back on more, well, what we, what you and me would consider solid ground anyway, because we both like, we both liked Funeral in Berlin. He's back as Harry Palmer in Billion Dollar Brain. I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Looking forward no. to seeing it. I hope that's not a mistake. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like, I feel like I, I, I'm going to be willing this to be good. Because I, do you know what it was? Maybe we're a bit complacent coming into Hurry Sundown. Maybe Funeral Berlin softened us up a bit. And now we're after getting the smack. We're after getting the, we're after getting the bloodied nose now with Hurry Sundown. Yes, we've been hurt. We've, we've been hurt now, so we're not sure whether we can trust him. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking. I'm rethinking the whole relationship. So one other thing just pops into my head there, uh, just as we're chatting along here. Um, a listener writes, which is lovely. We, we love getting correspondence from our listeners, and you're all fantastic with your uh, notes of encouragement and also discouragement. I think that's important too. Uh, as in, what the hell are you doing and why? Um. Listener writes I said, in. I said, I, I, I wish you and your wife would communicate a bit more informally than by correspondence. <laughs> but I, you know, again, probably not best for me to bring this up on this kind of forum. But you know, maybe a bit of couples counselling might work out there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're probably right. It's probably it's 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 so it's something I'll bring to our next monthly meeting. Um, <laughs> in terms of yes, yes, there was an error. There was an error. Can you believe there was an error in our funeral Berlin episode what? previously? Yes, I'm glad to say it wasn't me though. Um, we were discussing, I think we were discussing James Bond films, which is really, what were we doing? But uh, in 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 conversation, you referred to Dr. No and you referred to Guy Hamilton as directing Dr. No. When, of course, <laughs> everybody, I mean, everybody knows that it was Terence Young. And I'm very appreciative of the listener uh, writing in and pointing out that it was indeed Terence Young. Who? Uh, All right, right, no, I think I've said enough. Talk, Actually, yeah, no, 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 no. You can have. We're talking about here. Yeah, what am I talking about? Who is this anonymous no, no, person no. or a listener? A listener, I yes, say. a listener. Prove That's it. All it needs prove to it. Prove it. I don't prove even. It. I don't prove it. Prove it. What you're sounding like? Prove it. You're sounding like someone now who's in the Great British Break Off. Prove it. Prove it. Is it proved? Is it proved? God's sake! Show me the wounds in his sides. Come on. Where's this fucking text message you got? It's real and it happened, and we do have From listeners. Who? Yeah, I'm, From not, who? I'm not telling you. He didn't ask to be identified. That wasn't it. Wasn't that kind of wasn't that kind of fucking conversation. coward? Yeah, a coward? Well, no, 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 no. This I think the, it's very, this was the estate this of Terence Young, was it? This is deflection. Now this is deflection. You don't. You're get. You're getting pulled up, and you don't like it. But here we are. I'm pulling the reins. I hope you feel it. There you go. I'm out here. Lay myself bare on this podcast every week. Me, Literally. Stephen Black, but that is who I am. He's naked when he's doing this, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And you're telling me somebody doesn't have the decency to pull me up in an error virtually face to face. I, I mean, it's 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 cowardice. Do you accept though that you made the error? I accept nothing. Do you accept no. that you made the error? I accept. You want to get Paxman are... on your ass now? I accept there are. All I accept is that there are, are there are alternative facts. You do not accept that Terence His Young... His fact is an alternative to mine. <laughs> one of them might be correct. The other one might be incorrect. But they are, I think, both, and we can both agree on this, they are both indisputably facts. <laughs> you see, this is this is how, like, the whole Trump thing filters down into casual conversations between people. We well, see, this is the problem again. This is the problem with you liberal media elites is that, you know, things don't go the way you like them and all of a sudden you're throwing out Trump this and Trump that. The truth is you're unable to deal with anyone with an alternative view to your own. You're so cushy there. Cocoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrap, okay. wrap I'm wrapping wrap. this up. 
I'm, I'm, wrapped I'm, in your bubble wrap, your ivory tower. I'm wrapping I can this see, up. I can see off the room you, in which you live. Right. It's cleaned. Yeah, it's lovely. Off you go windows. to Joe, listen, listen, off you go to Joe Rogan. Off you go. Get out of here. Just go. Just go. And I'm going to put I apologize for nothing. I, yeah, nothing new there. I, I, <laughs> I'm putting it out there to the writer of that text, which is genuine true. If he is happy with that, uh, I don't even know what you'd call that. It wasn't even well, a clarification. Just like, I'd just like to say to, uh, to M. Foley or... Uh, <laughs> Michael F., uh, if he's out there listening, as I'm sorry that you felt compelled to write, not even to the Twitter account, but more directly to uh, somebody also sharing a very, very similar name to your own yeah, yeah, about yeah, 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 yeah. about this uh, this so, this so-called uh, error on our podcast. And I think we said it before, and I, I just like to reiterate here: there is no fact checking done in this podcast. We have no we have no time for it. We do not have the resources for it. If you in any way hear a fact that you disagree with or you think is is wrong, I absolutely encourage you to again directly message Michael Foley here, and his email number is oh eight six. I can tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up by paraphrasing Seinfeld. The 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 text was real, and the error. It was spectacular. And you're just going to have to live with it. Okay, come back. Have a look at Billion Dollar Brain. Women Time 7. They're actually both pretty easy to find online if you want to go looking for them. Um, Stephen, thanks so much. Thanks, uh, thanks, Michael. And again, if, you've any, if you want, us, uh, want to ask us any questions about Woman Time 7 or Billion Dollar Brain, uh, you can DM both of us on Twitter. We're pretty easy to find. Mm-hmm. At Mallow News is probably your first port of call. Uh, and keep an eye yes. out for the book as well. I believe there are still some Mallow News books floating around. and They're not even in the bargain bins yet, are they? No, they're all black market. Ah, well then. DM or in the dark well. web. All right. We'll come back. We'll talk again. Take it easy. All right. Take it easy. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Um, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Marco Kane is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production. See you next time. Oh.